You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. Hello everyone, and welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. This podcast is going to be taking a look at Tim Drake, my favorite Robin. We'll be taking a look at Tim's first appearance in Batman Year 3, that's Batman 436, and working our way through Tim's training all the way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back and relax and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Everyone Loves the Drake. And can you finally believe it? We're actually going to be talking about Tim Drake and not about Dick Grayson or just the one little four or five panels that Tim Drake actually makes in the podcast. He's actually here in these two episodes that we're going to do. And I have my first guest on the podcast, and I'm going to steal from Kevin Smith and do my best uh, Fat Man on Batman uh, intro here. Um as I've said before on the podcast, getting through uh, these first uh, couple episodes, that I was part of uh, the Batman Universe point five cast, and I did a couple of uh, those episodes, I think about four or five. And uh, when the new 52 hit, I was listening to other uh, podcasts, and one that I had stumbled across were the Bat Fans, and I kind of recognized Tim and Dane from uh, Gotham Knights Online podcast. I was like, oh, I kind of uh, – I, I know those guys, so it was really kind of cool to – be part of the Batman universe and then still kind of uh, stumble onto their podcast. And uh, the cool thing about it was that they had, you know, somebody that was sending in emails. So it's like, oh, wow, they've got listeners. They've got a professional show going on here. And uh, one of their emailers was, it was an email that I just enjoyed listening to this person uh, send in emails. And then before I knew it, uh, he became part of their podcast and they had a really good trio going and kind of fast forwarding through, uh, a few episodes, I had a chance to do a commentary track uh, for the Batman universe with Donovan and uh, two of the guys from uh, the Batfans podcast, and we covered uh, Robin's Reckoning, and it was uh, Donovan, Tim, and my guest here, and uh, the three of us just had a really good time going through that, and uh, I was sitting going, man, I'd really like to be part of the Batfans podcast, and I think I even sent in one email, like, hey, if you need any Robin help, you know, but I didn't want to be that kid that's like, I want to play with your ball, too, you know, so I uh, thought, well, I'll just wait. Well, uh, my guest here sent me an email, said, hey, you know, really enjoyed having you uh, do the commentary track with us. Would you be interested in, uh, you know, coming on the Bat Fans podcast? And so I instantly jumped at the chance, and my wife was like, oh, you're a happy boy now. So I was like, yeah, you know, these are a bunch of cool guys. That first episode was really good with uh, the Bat Fans, and I uh, thanked them graciously for it. And then, again, uh, my guest here said, well, hey, do you want to come back for the next one? And it just kind of continued on from there. So uh, it was a nice uh, – quartet, if you will, for the Bat fans. 
And then once we get into uh, right around Christmas time, it, at least for me and my guests that we're recording, since we're East Coasters and uh, Dane is out in Hawaii and Tim is in California, so uh, what's an afternoon or evening for them turns out to be 10.30 or 11 o'clock for us. So it just gets to be a lot of uh, long nights. And uh, my uh, co-host here decided that he was going to have to uh, step down for a while and just uh, – it, with his job and everything that was going on. so And then I've been hit or miss in the uh, latter few part of the podcast. But as that was happening, I was deciding to put together this podcast. And my uh, guest here that I'm getting really close to introduce uh, said, you know, I'd like to continue to try and do something. So I said I would love to have you on as a, a guest on this uh, podcast. And I kind of want to refer to him as the semi-regular co-host. He has... I'm going to use a big word here, carblanche, to uh, come on any time he feels like. To quote Jim Carrey for The Cable Guy, you have honey in your voice, Raul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just really cool to be talking to him again. I've been excited. Uh, he was like, you know, why don't you do, you know, get your feet wet by yourself. And so uh, did those first four, and I couldn't think of a better person to have on the fifth episode of Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, to talk about, I think, arguably both of our favorite Robins who we grew up at this time. So uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please welcome Terrence O'Neill to the podcast. Wow, thank you. you gotta, i got to record that and uh, play it at like my funeral or something. Or That, that, was, that was impressive. Now I know uh, I got the Kevin Smith treatment. So yeah, thank you for that, Rob, and th- thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, like you said, with my schedule and stuff, I just couldn't keep up the uh, the biweekly podcast uh, with uh, Bat fans. But um, I think at one point I had even mentioned to you about something of like, hey, we should do a Robin podcast at some point. And you kind of said, well, I've got this Tim Drake thing in the works. And I was like, oh, that's awesome if you ever want me on because um, I kind of kind of when he appeared in comics, I was about the same age as Tim Drake. So I kind of feel like I grew up with him a little bit. And he's definitely um, – the Robin that I, I relate to the closest and read the most of. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm happy to be here. So thanks for having me on. So, yeah, it's been uh, really kind of cool to be able to uh, touch base with you. So before we get into uh, Lonely Place of Dying, like I haven't uh, stretched this out long enough, um, are you currently still reading any New 52 stuff? Or is there stuff that you've uh, been kind of reading that you've been kind of dying to uh uh, talk about are you in with the Forever Evil and the Zero Year of Batman still? No, actually, I've taken a little break from the the New Fifty Two. Um, and if if any of the listeners from Bat fans knows that when the New Fifty Two came out, I had bought every single issue of the New Fifty Two all the way up to issue number eight for every title. Because um, one of the stores did a deal that if you bought all fifty two, they'd, they'd sell it for a uh, dollar each. So I got the first you know issues for fifty two dollars of all the number ones, and then um, on the site that I used to order comics, they would do half price if you bought all 52. So I was on board right from the beginning and reading a lot of it, but I kind of got a little burnt out, and I, I've been kind of um, unimpressed with a lot of titles and a lot of the changes that, that was made and just feeling like uh, I really don't like how they've kind of just erased a lot of the, the stories that you know I grew up you know reading and, and really liking. So I kind of little by little was dwindling, dwindling, and kind of just down to the bat titles, and I've kind of just taken a break and, and figured I'll, I'll go back and jump in if they do some 99-cent digital sales or maybe pick up some trade paperbacks. But I've kind of um, kind of just taken a break, and, and the things that I've read uh, uh, online have not made me want to jump in, seeing that, you know, Nightwing is being canceled and um, – 
just, you know, I don't know. It just, it just kind of made me feel like, you know, where are they going? What are they doing? It is almost, are they just going for sensationalism, trying to sell a book? I did not like the whole uh, death of Damian Wayne. I thought they, they killed him off too quick. I thought the bat titles have been very, um, not cohesive. They're, they're just all over the place. Grant Morrison's run ended with a whimper. It didn't really get me all excited. Zero year is kind of, you know, um, kind of erasing. I, and I haven't really read a lot of Zero Year, but I just got that feeling that it's erasing a lot of the year one stuff that I loved. And, you know, so I, I've kind of uh, uh, just taken a, a break from it and maybe we'll we'll catch up later. How about you, Rob? Have you been keeping up? Uh, yeah, for the most part, I have. Um, I've still been on the same core books. Uh, I've been enjoying Forever Evil. Um, I'm really liking the Zero Year stuff, but it's it's one of those that, like you said, it's sensationalism. There There has to be this alternate changing uh, uh, defining thing that's going to shake everybody to the core every single story arc and I'm, I'm kind of missing the days of let's just get back to telling really good stories and we don't have to tear down and build up characters every single arc yeah I'm not happy with the Nightwing uh, decision either um, so it's uh, I'm up in the air of like what, uh, what they're going to do um, with it so I I'm in the process of uh, downgrading some books. Uh, just like you said, I'm kind of getting uninterested, and then doing this is making me go, yeah, I really enjoy um, <laughs> this era of Batman. Not that I'm still not going to uh, uh, be doing anything, but it's just, you know, it, some stories are hit or miss. So there's some books that I really do like, and others i just scratching my head going, uh, you know, I just don't think we have to reboot in a universe every 15 to 20 years. Yeah, you know, at my, my school, you know, I, I teach sixth grade. They're doing a 40-book challenge. Uh, so I've been reading, like, a lot of just regular books, the old-fashioned, and, and, you know, revisiting some of my favorites. So I've kind of spent most of my reading time on just regular books. And uh, But there's one kid who's in, in one of my classes, and he's actually reading the um, trade paperbacks of Court of Owl. And he keeps asking me about it, and I feel bad because he's kind of like, well, I'm confused because they, they had, you know, uh, uh, Jonah X in here, and then all of a sudden he disappears, and what happened? And I'm like, I was trying to explain <laughs> the concept of, you know, tie-ins just to, for the cash grab in it. But I could see, you know, if you're like a 12-year-old kid and you pick up Court of Owls, it's it's really weird with all these tie-ins and storylines, and, and um, I, I just kind of... I, you know, I've always felt the New 52, they try to uh, have their cake and eat it, too, which you can't do. They were trying to keep all the old readers and try to make it seem like, oh, Batman's staying the same, Green Lantern's staying the same, but then get all these new readers of, like, it's all new, it's all fresh, and I think they did a much better job getting the new readers. I think they've kind of, just in the long run, disgruntled some of the, the older readers, um, and if you look at the sales figures, they're they're kind of... Um, showing that they're they're not holding those numbers that they had when it first kicked off, which means that probably in a year or two they'll do the whole thing again and renumber everything back to one and <laughs> go through it again. Yeah, which I think that's part of this uh, Batman Eternal in the days. I want to I want to misquote the uh, X Men title. There's a DC Weekly series that's going to be a Future's End or something like that that I think is going to be a soft reboot inside this universe, and they're bringing in Batman uh, Beyond into the current timeline and just 
uh, some weird things. So I don't know if they're going to go back and try and fix some stuff inside of the new 52. So, yeah, I guess I'm I'm still on, but I've dropped uh, a good amount of books. But uh, I guess it'll be enough for our uh, ketchup or ketchup. Yeah, ketchup and mustard section yes, yeah. <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I've mentioned this once before. Now I have confirmation that I'm not the only one that smells my comic books. Um, <laughs> no, just, it's true, yeah. There's just something about these old books uh, before they – I mean, it's nice having the nice glossy paper and everything, but it, even just the feel and the smell of the book is a, a great way to time travel. And there's just – I don't know, there's something that feels like home uh, – about these older books, so it's nice to know I'm not the only one that smells my comic books. Yeah, and it was funny because, uh, you know, I heard you say that on the podcast uh, about the smell of the comics, and I always thought that too, and when you open up one of these old comics, and now my comics um, spent some time in my mother's basement for a while, so they kind of got a little basement smell going too, so they got (laughs) some extra, and then I had um, the New Titans number 60 out the other day, and uh, I was showing it to my stepdaughter, who's eight, because she is a huge Teen Titans fan and Teen Titans Go. She loves that on Cartoon Network. Um, and so I was showing her a lot. I'm like, hey, look how the uh, Titans used to look back in, you know, the late 80s and look how different, you know, Starfire and uh, Raven is. And she, I, I bring the book over and she's like, oh, this book smells bad. Why does this book smell so bad? <laughs> and then I thought of your comment. I was like, yeah, well, it's comic book smell with a little, you know, basement smell thrown in there for plus, you know, 20 um, almost 25 years worth of uh, sitting around. So, yeah, the, the I do digitally. It does just – it can't create the smell. But I'm sure someday they'll have a comic book smell app. Um, <laughs> same thing with baseball cards. If they don't have that smell of that stale bubble gum that cuts the inside of your lip when you bite it, it's just not the same. Yeah. And, and you chewed it all the time. Even to the, when you got to the point of knowing this gum is absolutely horrible, Yeah, you, you still chewed it. <laughs> exactly. And I get this, like, white film over whichever card was touching it and stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the FDA days. would so not approve of that gum nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, we were talking about, you know, right, roughly being the same age. I think I was 15 when this came out. I'm assuming you're probably right around the same ballpark. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the days of still having to rely on mom and dad just a little bit to take me to the uh, comic book store. If mom was going getting groceries on Friday, it's like I had to go. And where you could go into a grocery store and actually go to a spinner rack that uh, said, hey, kids, comics on it, which is a podcast I'll promote, (laughs) Um, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. Oh, that's how they got their name. But, uh, you know, where you could get uh, comic books off there. And this is how I I picked up these uh, first couple issues of Lonely Place of Dying was right from it. I don't remember if it was in Wizard Magazine or if it was in another issue, because it's the the ad that we're going to talk about in a second is not in uh, any of these books, but I think it had to have been Wizard of uh, Nightwing standing on a rooftop and is saying, uh, holding on to the Robin costume. And I remember reading year three going, who is this Nightwing character? I didn't really know about Jason Todd having died until I was told about it, and I read uh, Death of the Family. And I just thought, this Nightwing character looks so dorky, you know, and he's holding his Robin costume. I instantly thought, finally, you can lose this stupid Nightwing persona and uh, go back to being Robin. Were you uh, were you kind of led uh, down that road, too, thinking that's uh, where this story was going to take place? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's hard to remember back when I was, you know, 15 totally. But I had just started getting into comics. I had been a huge Batman fan as a little kid. 
And then, you know, somewhere like around 12 or something, all the things you did as a little kid, you, you're too cool for anymore. So you can't, you know, be into Star Wars or, or Batman. And little do you know how much you'll love it when you turn middle age again. But uh, <laughs> um, then I, I was eighth grade and uh, some kids in school who were comic book readers were talking about the death of Robin. And I was like, what? How, how can that be? And my mom took me up to the uh, comic book store and the the last death in the family had had just come out but the trade paperback was already out so that came out like really quick after issue 429 so i got the 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 uh, trade paperback that was my first comic and read it and then started reading batman you know 430 hadn't come out yet so when that came out i got that my brother actually had been reading comics even though he was three years younger, he was reading Archie comics. So we would take some trips to the comic book store. And, and so I started picking up some Batman. And then I started going back and getting the um, the back issues of Batman and, and some of the ones with Jason Todd. And they had in the in the 400s, it, it said like um, Batman, the new adventures or something like that. And I believe there was one issue with uh, Nightwing where he didn't really interact with Batman. He um, more interacted with Jason Todd. Uh, and so that was like my introduction to Nightwing and uh, seeing that that ad was kind of like, oh, cool, it's going to be a Batman Nightwing story, which now in, in 2014, we take it for granted. We've seen Batman and Nightwing all the time in animated shows and in, in, in the cartoon and the different series and, and different things. But at the time in 89, Batman and Nightwing really had not been in comics together very much. I, I, I probably only a few panels. I mean, Nightwing had his thing in the Titans, which I, I didn't know anything about the Titans or New Titans or Teen Titans or any of that when I read this. Um, so reading it, a lot of it was like, who are these people? And why does that orange girl with green eyes have no clothes on? And, <laughs> yeah. And is, is, the, is, the, is the cyborg wearing a diaper? What is that? Like it was, it was kind of jarring. Um, and uh, actually you don't really learn a lot about these characters in it. Um, so I still didn't know much afterwards. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I believe the vibe and the, the – I think it was an intentional misdirection on DC's part was to make you think that um, Dick Grayson was going to be Robin again, which now seems kind of silly. But um, right. that I, – I, I think I went into it thinking that, and they, they might have even had little teasers or something like that. And I think it was an intentional misdirection on DC's part. But um, I think it was, it was a good twist for the story. Yeah, that was uh, – it almost sounds like you and I had the, the same life, minus the brother. I had sisters, and they weren't reading comics. Okay, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, it was just one of those that uh, – I have just sporadic Batman in issues in some detective comics that, you know, I've got these holes of, like, I may have uh, Batman 441, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know. 4.32, and then I, I don't get anything until 4.38 till the start of year three. So that's kind of where I was once I saw that these books were kind of connected together and they're on a, a huge long trace, kind of what drew me in. So then it was like trying to figure out, okay, does this book come out every week? Does it come out every month? Is it bi-monthly? So once I figured that out and found an actual real comic book store that I had to beg my mom to, so it was like, all right, you're going to go in, you're going to pick up this book, you're not going to look around, which how do you tell a 15-year-old you're not going <laughs> yeah. to look around in a comic book store? <laughs> I remember her always coming in going, Rob, let's go, let's go. Yeah. So uh, the um, – and that's digress a little bit. I do kind of remember when I read 440, the, the part one of Lonely Places Dying, not really knowing who the guy was with the camera. And not really – I don't really think I knew Tim Drake was going to 
um, be the um, the next Rob, and that was a total kind of a surprise for me. I, I think maybe by the end of the story, I could kind of see it coming, but I know in 440 with the camera, I still didn't know, is that a good guy or a bad guy? Is this somebody, you know, laying a trap for Batman? Um, maybe others knew, or maybe, maybe I was just naive about it, but without the internet, without a lot of the... Um, uh, podcasts and things out there that talk about it. And with, I didn't really have a lot of friends who read comics either. So I didn't have a lot of people I could talk to about it. So it, it was kind of, kind of on your own a little bit. Um, and whatever was in the, the back of the, um, book with the, the letters, you know, and reading the letters and finding out what other people were thinking. But I definitely know, I think it was like the last page of 440 where you see, um, them walking towards the circus. And I, I guess, I don't know if that's Dick or Tim on 440. Uh, Page 22 on 440 now. I, I, I thought it was Tim, but maybe it's Dick. I, um, that I realized, like, all right, well, this, this is probably a good, a good guy, not a bad guy. But definitely, there, it was definitely fun to read and definitely fun to go through it. And when that issue, um, which I'm, we'll get to another podcast, 442 came out with Robin on the cover, that was, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a great moment. And I, I took that as being uh, Dick at the back part of the panel while you were talking. I had the book out of my hand uh, just because I'm thinking, okay, it, not knowing that it's Tim um, in the uh, in his apartment looking at uh, the Haley Circus getting ready to close. So I would assume that that's Tim in one place and then Dick is going to the circus. But it could very well be uh Tim, but uh, Tim doesn't have the backpack uh, anywhere, so I would assume it's Nightwing being a, a nomad and just, you know, going off uh, on his own. Um, we yeah, let, can I just tell you say one thing real quick? Yeah. I had always read this and 22 or 25 years, whatever it's been, I always thought that was Tim walking. But now when I look side by side with Teen Titan, I'm sorry, the new Titan 60, the backpack matches the backpack that Dick has. So it's probably Dick Grayson, although Dick Grayson's wearing a short sleeve shirt in 60, and here this guy's got a jacket. But maybe he took it off. It was a hot jerk. It was a hot day. But uh, the backpack matches. Dick's yeah, it was a hot pack. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, um, but wow. Now, th- th- what other podcast would break down the backpacks of <laughs> superheroes? I mean, this is, you know. That's what that's what we're going to do on this podcast. Yes. We're going to break down the stitch count and thread count. I think yes. the, cowl, the cowl has 142 in this one, and it has 143 in the other one. So yes. uh, <laughs> we'll figure out what kind of trapper keeper Tim Drake used on his first day of middle school. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the title of this, A Lonely Place to Dying, was always a head-scratcher for me. I was, like, trying to figure it out in my, you know, young adolescent mind. I remember asking my dad, and he was going, I, I don't know. He's like, I don't read comics. I was like, you're allowed to help there, Dad. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did you get out of the title uh, or reading into it or or even what it means? Yeah, I absolutely love this title um, because, to me, it, it has weight. It has gravity. Like, you think about like the, the really great classic literature and their titles like The Old Man in the Sea or The Grapes of Wrath or like as a kid you kinda hear those titles and you don't really know what it is and you hear someone say the call of the wild and then you get a little bit older and then you have to read the book for a class or you pick it up on your own and then it, it kinda sticks with you and you know, it, it some of those books just have these great, great heavy titles that it's almost like a punch in the gut, like, you know, like for whom the bell tolls. And I really felt lo- a lonely place of dying. 
had that. It had this like weight and power to it that could have been, you know, somebody said, oh, I'm reading A Lonely Place of Dying. You might think it's a Hemingway novel or, or yeah. something, you know. And so I really like that. I don't know where they actually got that from. A lot of times they'll pull a title from like a line from a poem or something or like A Raisin in the Sun, I know, is from a Langston Hughes poem. This, I, you know, I've looked on the Internet and everything. It looks like it, it was their own creation, and I, I really liked it. And um, I always took it to be where Bruce was. Like, Bruce was just, he's in this lonely place of dying. His Everything about Bruce is dying. His soul is dying, his heart, his will, everything. And he needs that light in his life. He needs Robin to, to sort of pull him out of it. And, you know, he needs Robin more. He needs Bruce needs Robin more emotionally and spiritually than he does actually a partner to fight crime with um, and to keep him from descending into the madness and into just the the, the going from um, uh, being an avenger to just going for revenge and just brutality. So I really liked the title and I really liked what they did with this Wolfman and Perez, because when Jason Todd died, there were a lot of people who said Robin was stupid. You don't need Robin. Uh, Stan Lee, for, uh, as great a creator he was, he's probably like the cheerleader of bashing the kids' sidekicks, and I've heard him all the time say, oh, this is stupid. In real life, the uh, you know child protection services would have got it. And I keep the Stan, it's comics. In real life, Peter Parker would have died from a radioactive spider bite, you know, in real life, Bruce Banner <laughs> would have had cancer from gamma rays and not turned into the Hulk. And then Fantastic Four, why is it they all go through the same cosmic rays, yet they all, all four get different powers? How does that happen, Stan? I've said that many times. Shouldn't they all come out like the Hulk? Or shouldn't they all be invisible? Or shouldn't they all be on fire? <laughs> exactly, right, or, or just dead from gamma radiation. So, yeah. Yeah, so come on, Stan. So, um, so what I loved is Wolfman and Perez really – before they introduced the new Robin, they showed you why Batman needs a Robin. You know, if this was – and I kind of bash Marvel comics, and I've read some good Marvel comics, but I'm not a Marvel guy. I feel like this is the opposite of Marvel because what Marvel would have done is they would have come out with issue one, the new Robin, and it would have been like Wolverine, a mystery. Who is he? Where did he come from? We don't know anything about him. And then slowly over years, you'd learn a little bit like they did with Wolverine and Cable and all their others. This is the exact opposite. It's like – Tim Drake is barely in the first couple issues, of, and barely in year three, barely in the first issue of this. And little by little, you start to learn about him. And then at the end, boom, he's the Robin. So um, that's probably the longest uh, explanation of a title ever. But, uh, you know, um, I really like the title. How about you? Ditto. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm telling you, you guys, uh, honey is being poured out right now. Um <laughs> Yeah, I have I have thought the uh, the same thing about Lonely Place of Dying, and I don't want to sound like a broken record and go that's exactly what Terrence said. But it, this is Bruce at yeah, Bruce Bruce is on the path of basically killing himself, uh, rushing headlong into every obstacle. And we saw that through uh, the first four episodes of this podcast, uh, even into a gunfight that. Uh, is sending a room full of mobsters. If he dies that night, he's kind of at that point. It's like, well, oh well. Well, this is my Dark Knight Returns. If I get stranded on a deserted island, what's the one book that I take with me? It's going to be a lonely place of dying. Um, for all the reasons that people like the Dark Knight Returns, and the Dark Knight Returns does the very same thing this does. It shows why Batman needs a Robin. Uh, even in that book, you know, he it's written at the time that Jason uh, 
Todd was dead and he made a promise to Jason Todd. You know, he was a good soldier. And even Carrie Kelly sees the need to become Robin. So, um, and uh, that being said, I'm not a fan of that book. But um, uh, this, uh, for anybody that says, you know, Batman doesn't need a Robin, I would give him this book and say, read this. You will see why Batman needs a Robin. Batman needs that moral compass of why he's out there fighting. Um, something I said, I think, in episode one, you know, his parents died, and I'm going to go out there and make sure this never happens to another living soul again. And then here's a circus on the one day that somebody says, oh, Bruce, why don't you just come to the circus? Fine. On probably the day where he's not Batman, another tragedy happens right before him to find out that somebody else had killed this boy's parents just cemented the fact of why I need to be out here doing this. And that brings into Dick why he wants to do the very same thing that Bruce is doing. And it's keeping Bruce on that moral compass of like, I I can't totally lose it because the person right next to me, this is the person that I'm doing it for. So I think it's uh, done eloquently through this. And uh, Wolfman and Perez just do such a beautiful job of weaving Tim in. Like you said, it's, if, like you said, if this was a Marvel book, it'd be like, check out the new Black Spider-Man, you know, and I remember getting that rather than seeing that developed through the story. And I remember when we get to uh, Dick or Tim giving the photo to uh, Dick of the circus, I remember going, I've seen this one back year three and going, that's the little boy from the circus. Like total mind blown that they did this great misdirection that you get probably two pages of Tim with his parents at the circus. And then we never see Tim again until this moment where that photo comes up. So I'm already gushing all over the book. It's, it just shows how much planning they took into it and how much thought, and it wasn't just, you know, comics are for kids, churn it out and throw it on the shelf and, you know, um, you got to salute Wolfman and Perez for that. And I I will still hold this up to anything that's going on in the New 52 that, you know, we'll tell – I mean, uh, love Scott Snyder, love what he's doing, but he'll do 11 issues of the Court of Owls or, you know, seven issues of Death of the Family with all the tie-ins. And it, I feel like it, t- it takes Scott seven – or 11 issues to tell a story that Wolfman and Perez did in five, and these are so dense. Yeah. That, uh, you feel like not 12 issues, but but still, it still is a – it's not a real fast read. Uh, you've got Jeff Johns that will put out five issues of the Justice League, and you can take all that dialogue and put it all into one book, and everything else is just artwork. But this, you get tons of dialogue and just some amazing artwork. Um, something that's uh, a question you had, the Bruce and Dick conflict, like you had said that we didn't get a whole lot of Batman and Nightwing together, but there's still uh, I was still scratching my head of like, well, why isn't Dick and Bruce together? And they're Dick's coming of age story saying, you know, I'm uh, I'm a man. I need to be on my own. I can't be the kid's sidekick forever. And he was even dealing that with Teen Titans. And uh, I. I did. This was my first Teen Titans book too. So after this was out, I kind of went back and read the Judas Contract and some of those other things to kind of see where Dick made that turn. Uh, Robin did not win. But how did you feel about their their angst towards one another? Where Batman is still like, if you're next to me, I'm still talking to you as you're my partner, but you're not my equal. Where Dick is kind of like, you know what? You and I are almost the same age now. You know, I I want respect. Yeah, you know, I've always hated it. Um, and I, I think it's, it's just like a, a, a cheap, 
uh, way to add conflict for the writer? Because if you've got two men in a story, how do you put conflict between them? Well, it could be a money issue. Well, that's not going to happen because Dick's not greedy and Bruce has got more money than anybody in the DC universe. It could be a love triangle. They're both fighting over a woman, but that just doesn't – Bruce is not – that's not going to happen to Batman. I mean, it's just yeah. not there. So they, they do the coming of age where Dick is like, you need to treat me like a man. But it, to me, that always falls short because, like, what, what's Dick going to say? Don't treat me like a little kid anymore. Bruce never treated him like a little kid. When he was like eight or nine, he gave him like weapons and a motorcycle and let, took him on rooftops and, and stormed drug dealers' headquarters. I mean, when did he ever treat him like a little kid? Like, you know, like I just don't, I don't see it. And if anybody's ever been in a situation where you had like a strong male figure in your life, uh, when you get older, you even though you still have that respect, whether it's a father or something, I was thinking like when I was doing my student teaching, I was in college, and the teacher uh, who I was paired up with to work with was my sixth grade social studies teacher who everybody loved. He was like the coolest teacher, and everybody liked him. And the first day, he's like, hey, call me Tony. And I'm like, I can't call you Tony. I have to call you Mr. Fiorelli. Like I can't, I can't do that. Even though you know I'm a I'm a man now, I still had that like respect. And even some of my friends who had him say, "Do you call him Tony?" I'm like, "No, I call him Mr. Fiorelli." And I think, and I was never in the army or the the, the service, but I have all the respect in the world for the men and women who are in the service. And I think you know if you were a, a guy or girl in in boot camp or in in conflict or in battle and your commanding officer or your sergeant you know who you were with if you saw him 20 years later even though you're 40 and he's 60 i think you would still give him that respect you you wouldn't be like well you need to treat me like an adult now like <laughs> i just feel like you would you would have that so this is not just some regular guy this is not alfred telling him go clean your room like this is Batman, this is Bruce freaking Wayne. Like, <laughs> I don't see where Dick would be like, you need to treat me. I see Dick would be like, yes, sir, and what do we need to do? And, you know, so for me, looking really deep in it, it, it always kind of fell short to me. Just, you know, like, I mean, you know, he's a kid, and he's letting him run out at night on rooftops and beat people up and teaching him how to use explosives and weapons. And so, like, don't don't treat me like a kid. Like, I, you know, when I was eight, I wasn't allowed to use explosives. I had to sneak them. So, you know, uh, so to me, I, I see where the writers went with it, and I can see Dick a little bit just being like, look, I want to be my own man. I want to do my own thing. Or something like that. But I, you know, I, I, I like it better when Nightwing is more a part of the family, kind of grown up, doing his own thing. But Batman treats him like a partner. He treats Batman with respect. And he's kind of like the the tutor for the Robins. Like, this, like if Dick, uh, I'm sorry, like if Tim or, you know, had a problem with Bruce, he'd, he'd talk to Dick about it. And Dick would be like the, the go-between kind of guy. And I, I always liked Dick that he didn't let that darkness eat him up like Bruce did. You know, they both are fighting crime, but, you know, he didn't lose his soul, and he still, like, honors the memory of his parents who were killed, but does it in a way where he's not bitter and hateful and, you know, um, just so driven that he would, uh, you know, go to the darkness like Bruce does. So um, that's how I feel. But I know I, I'm. some people do like the conflict and the coming-of-age story. How did you feel about it? <laughs> I, I was always kind of torn in it. Uh, if anything, I would think the the argument that Dick would have is that, you know, you were pushing me since age 10 to be on a rooftop, to use explosives. You know, I, I didn't get a chance to be a kid. I had to grow up so fast 
that I had to go from 8 to 18 in the span of a day, that's where I always looked at more of the coming of age that it was just push, 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 and Dick seeing, like, you know, one of these days – I'm going to be expected to pick up this mantle of Batman, and this is going to be my war, my crime to fight. And I don't know if I want this. I don't know if I want this life anymore. And you don't, I don't, I don't want to live for you. And this can't be, this can't be my war. It's, I have to be my own thing. And I think that they kind of touched on that in the Teen Titans a brief period where Dick wasn't Robin or Nightwing. He was just like, I, I think I'm done. I'm done being pushed. I'm done having to control and do things. So. I think with, when becoming Nightwing is kind of like, all right, I'm going to take another stab at this, and Bruce already kind of going, hey, we need to do this. I looked at it as Dick going, I don't think there's a we anymore. You know, this needs to be me, this needs to be you, and my course isn't going to be your course. But I think I always like the whole Knight and Squire aspect that even though the young Squire doesn't want to have to do that, the way the knight is, he kind of looks at it going, this is the person that trained me. I think I am going to have to pick up his shield one day and carry on. But I think it's more of the, I don't want to have to. So that, that's always how I kind of took, not more of a coming of age, but your battle isn't going to be my battle type yeah. thing. Yeah, it's, it's a good take. So this is going to be the part of the show where we actually get into the synopsis of these issues. Well, today we'll be taking a look at Batman 440 and the new Teen Titans 60 for Batman Lonely Place to Dine. Uh, this is Rob and... Oh, Terrence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome to Rob and Everyone Loves a Drake, and let's get on to the show. Place of Dying, Chapter 1. This was $1 in uh, 1989 U.S. and $1.25 in Canada. Uh, the writers for this story for the Batman 
uh, book are Marv Wolfman and co-plotted by George Perez. Uh, Jim Aparo and Mike DiCarlo do the pencils. Uh, John Costanza, I love doing that, <laughs> does the letters again. Adrian Roy is the colorist. Dan Rapsler is associate editor. Uh, Denny O'Neill is the editor. And uh, Batman created by Bob Kane slash Bill Finger. On the top of a dam, Batman is fighting a low-level thug named the Ravenger. He is struggling to fight him. He should be able to take this guy down in one move, but it is taking every ounce of strength to do so. The Ravenger is cutting Batman with his knife, and Batman needs to dig in and pull through, or it all ends here. Unbeknownst to Batman, someone is taking pictures of him. Pictures of Batman losing, losing the fight, and losing the will to live. More photos are taken. Batman finally knocks the Ravenger off the dam and leaves a bloody trail back to the Batmobile. The photographer sneaks a few more pictures of Batman and of the Batmobile driving away. He notes nothing stops Batman. He must be in a lot of pain. Nothing ever stops Batman. The photographer says, well, that's enough of Bruce Wayne. Now off to Dick Grayson. The cameraman drives away through the bloody pool of Batman's blood. In an abandoned warehouse listening to the radio, the radio says that the orphanage receives a million dollar grant to stay open. This is in reference to Batman Year 3. The voice on the radio starts to talk to the man in the chair, saying that the Ravenger failed to take out the Batman, and if you don't act fast, Batman will take you down and our plan will be foiled. The radio turns back to the news broadcast, and the man wonders, was he really hearing the radio? A tired and weary Batman enters Wayne Manor, and Alfred attends to Bruce's wounds. In another panel, we see clippings of old newspaper articles of Batman and Robin, featuring the Dick Grayson Robin and the Jason Todd Robin and newspaper clippings of the Haley Circus accident. The photographer, we assume, is saying, I remember it all, Dick. Back in Wayne Manor, Alfred expresses concerns for Bruce, and then he does not wish to play nursemaid to Bruce and fears that one day Bruce will not return back home. The cameraman, who we saw drive away from the dam, arrives at Titan's Tower looking for Nightwing. He sees all the members of the Teen Titans leave, but Dick, where is he? Maybe he'll have to track down Corey as Corey and Dick were dating for a time. She'll know where he is. Batman arrives at the warehouse to track down his next lead. He remembers what Alfred said about being sloppy, that this is not what he would have told Jason to do. Think with your head, not with your fists. While in the book depository, Batman is taking on a couple thugs stealing books, and he starts to put it together. Two weeks ago, two policemen were killed. Two weeks before that, a brother and sister were shot. Two more victims. Today, 22nd, at 2 a.m., and this address on 22nd Street. It's all been there along. How did he not see it? It is, in fact, Two-Face. Two-Face is back. There's a knock at Starfire's door. The person asks, are you Corey from the Teen Titans? She replies, Yes, can I help you? He says, I need to speak with Dick Grayson immediately. She says, you're too late. He's already left town. The figure quickly runs away and Corey says, who are you? He says, no time for that. I have to ask Dick and only Dick. The figure arrives at Dick's apartment and it's empty. He goes through Dick's papers on his desk and sees an article about Haley Circus closing after 60 years. It can't be. He knows where Dick Grayson is going. He's going to Haley's Circus, and he must follow him. But at least he knows where Dick Grayson is going. To be continued in the pages of the new Teen Titans number 60. The next issue of Batman, Two-Face Strikes Again. All right, that was a synopsis for Batman 440. And 
I know I said there was going to be some Tim Drake in there. He was. He didn't speak. Uh, he, he spoke. But we still technically don't know his name. Um, I tried to do a lot of uh, research on this, and I don't know if I came up. Is the only appearance of a Ravenger in this particular story? Like, he's just – this is just some guy, even some low-level thug, a Z-lister in Batman's roster that this guy that nobody really knows about almost took Batman down on uh, a, a dam. Do you know anything of uh, the Ravenger at all, or am I completely out of left field on this? No, and I didn't do any um, research, but in fact, when I reread this, and, and when I read it, I probably have not read this in about 15 years, but then I read it for the podcast. I, I was kind of like, who's this guy, and does he come up again? And they didn't really spend a lot of time on his costume design. It's like <laughs> black pants and like a gold breastplate and some kind of mask, and all right, that's good. Um, but hey, I just want to mention the cover. The, I love this cover, the purple oh, yeah. sky, and uh, just the, it takes you a minute to kind of figure out what it kind of is, and then you realize, oh, it's like a magnification through a like a rifle eyepiece of Batman on the rooftop on top of a gargoyle, and the detail and the um, uh, in the building is just really great, and then the bat signal superimposed in the Batman logo where you can kind of see the the signal through the logo in a different color. It's just really great cover. I, I really like this cover. Uh, something about this cover that always drove me nuts, and I'm probably going to get booed for this, but the spine of this, where the only place the dying is in a nice purple, all the other ones are in red. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, yeah. And I'm like, why isn't that? But, you know, I showed this to my wife. She's like, well, you have so much purples and darks here that red will be a weird contrast. So, But I'm like, all the other colors are <laughs> covers yeah. are dark, so I don't know why I, I'm being nitpicky about the cover. But uh, and also to the covers, I don't know how yours are, but um, having the name on the the spine like that on a couple of mine, the staples don't quite line up, and you've got like a little bit of the back ad <laughs> bleeding through on the cover on a couple of them. But you know, hey, what the heck, it's comics. <laughs> That's right. I, all mine seem to be fine. I'm looking at them. I. I think mine got stapled pretty good. Even the other issues are just out of my reach, but they seem to be uh, pretty good, too. And uh, it'll be interesting as this podcast goes on to see when the Comics Code Authority uh, will disappear from the comics. Yeah. Remember, remember being there one day, I don't know exactly when. I, I know we could probably Google it and find out, but I'll be kind of curious to pick up whatever issue of Robin or Batman it is and go, oh, hey, it's not on there anymore. Yeah, it's not on the Titans issues. Um, those are the, the little bit more expensive prestige format ones. Um, hey, I just want to say, you know, when um, picking up this book and having not read it in so many years, it's kind of interesting uh, picking up old books because some issues you kind of like there's just one or two key points that you just remember from that issue and it always sticks with you. And then there's other things that you kind of like scenes that stick with you, but um, – you forget kind of like what what book was that in or what story or what was that and somehow when I remember them I always remember them in like live action I don't know why even though it's just static pictures I but this book the thing that always <laughs> stuck with me even now that I'm an old man is and I don't know if I'm jumping the gun but um on page 14 Tim is checking out trying to find Dick he's he's got the binoculars you still don't know who he is and he's peeping in on Starfire's apartment right <laughs> so and funny. then yeah and then you there's always something and then you go a few, a few pages more when he actually goes to Starfire's door and opens it up and she's in a bathrobe with a towel on her head and I always wondered how much did Tim see there because she <laughs> at some point she took her clothes off 
and he put the bathrobe on, but yet, you know, he, he didn't knock on the door before that. And I always wondered, what exactly did he see and how much did he see? And I, I, I always thought it was kind of funny to see a superhero kind of like just chilling out with the uh, towel on the head like a housewife in the bathrobe. And uh, that, that scene, maybe not the most action-packed, but that has always stuck with me. And um, I'll let pe- the listeners fill in their own imagination for how much Tim Drake actually saw. But um, it's it, <laughs> And then even when the new 50, Two came out and the Red Hood came out with that scene, that full page page with her and everything. I thought, well, nothing Tim Drake hasn't seen before. So, so now we can see what Tim saw. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that that was something too. I remember kind of reading this, going, uh, you know, like, oh wow, you know, he's he's watching Starfire, but reading it now is a uh, a forty year old going, how long was Tim across that roof? Because <laughs> yeah. he obviously watched her eat and then decided, oh, maybe I'll go over. Uh, she taking a shower? Maybe I'll just wait <laughs> yeah. another. Maybe I'll wait another fifteen minutes before I go across the street. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, um, is this? Uh, yes, this Aparo art here um, with I guess it's plotted by Perez, and Perez actually does the Teen Titans. Uh, this is some of the what I w- would consider would be my Batman. Um, one of my Fisher Price books that I had as a kid when I was. I don't know, 10, was drawn by Aparo, and I just love his look for Batman and, and all the characters uh, in here. And even uh, Perez is uh, – Perez and Aparo are able to complement each other both very well, and it's kind of cool to have Aparo and Perez in the Batman book working hand-in-hand, hand, and their work just goes uh, seamlessly. Uh, you were talking about uh, images that have always stuck with you. Um, I'm trying to see what page this is. Uh, page four of the bloodied footprints of Batman as he drives away, and then Tim is putting his camera in the uh, in his bag, and you see the bloody footprints, and Tim driving away across the blood. I always thought that was just a, a weird, like an unsettling bloody footprints and enough blood that it is splattering um, away from uh, uh, Tim as he's driving away. So uh, at my you know, 15-year-old mind going, wow, Batman really got the crap kicked out of him by this guy. I have no idea who he is. You know, if if he's getting beat up like this by some guy I don't know who it is, what's it going to be like when he goes up against Two-Face? Speaking of which, did when you first read this, when the first appearance of uh, Two-Face in this book, did you – uh, did you know it was Two Face right away? And uh, what did you think of the uh, music box or the radio? I guess you want to call it on uh, page uh, five that uh, he's having a conversation with. That uh, did you think that maybe this is the person that was uh, spying on Dick at all? And Corey, you know, I believe when I read this, I had no idea who Two Face was, and I had never seen or heard of Two Face before. You know, I'd just been reading comics for a short time. Two-Face was not a part of the 60s television show. He was not a part of, like, the Super Friends. So I don't believe – I know the first time I saw Two-Face was in the comics, and I don't believe I knew who Two-Face was. or If I did know, I didn't really know him too well um, here at this point. And I actually – I do remember reading it and thinking that possibly the voice in the um, – Radio was either a a hallucination or it was what would turn out to be Tim Drake, the guy with the camera. But I remember kind of not really knowing very well and being a a bit confused at the time. Um, And then it is an awesome reveal at the very end of 
part five or who what when you find out so i i do remember being like really jazzed about that but um um I, one little thing i wanted to say which um to comment on your thing yeah i i love apparel's art you know in a lot of ways he is like the model for batman but i'd go even a little further too because he's kind of like my model for alfred too i, I love his Alfred's when I think of Alfred it's like that Aparo Alfred as well um so yeah yes. his he, he really did kind of put a stamp on like this is what it is yeah I would agree sorry <laughs> oh no no problem uh on page eight is the uh, first time that we have seen uh the photo of Tim and the Flying Graysons and uh Tim's uh parents who would be later changed uh, down the line um, as to who they were. They're just kind of generic people here. But we also see some uh, clippings from what would be year three, and then we see uh, Batman and Dick, and then Batman and Jason Todd, and we see you know words like Batman on the Rampage. So uh, somebody uh, has pictures of all of this stuff, and what I always thought was the, the big head-scratcher in this that the person is looking at these pager, uh, pagers, pages, <laughs> the pages were around 89, um, uh, says, I remember Dick, I remember them all. So this person is looking at pictures of Batman and Robin and referring to Batman and Robin as Bruce and Dick. So that really had me uh, curious to go, who is this person? And they know who Batman and Robin are. Um, yeah. Uh, like you said, looking at page nine here, uh, this is a perfect, uh, this is the Alfred I think of too. Um, I think Alfred's pretty much been drawn just about the same. Uh, but when I think of Alfred, this is um, the image I think of. And uh, this is – Alfred didn't address this in year three much to Bruce. But uh, through this, uh, Alfred is saying, you know, I didn't basically sign up to be a nursemaid. Your your wounds are getting worse and worse every time you go out. And uh, I'm afraid one of these times that you're going to go out and you're not going to come back. Uh, that's that's not the life uh, I wanted for you. You were so careful. Uh, what did you think about a reckless uh, Batman at this point? That uh, it is basically does, it isn't even caring at a, a point uh, for his own safety. That he's he's getting really sloppy. Well, at the point when I read this, this was really the only Batman I really knew. You know, because I had started with you know death in the family. And so it was just kind of this spiraling Batman. So I, I kind of really remembered kind of being worried actually for Batman a little bit and, 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 um, thinking like, you know, where is he going with this? Are they going to kill him or is he going to, you know, just spiral out of control? So, um, yeah, I, you know, now reading back, you kind of see where things go. But at the time I, I did kind of feel like, you know, uh, you know, what's going to happen? That, 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 that sense of like, what's going to happen or, yeah, are they going to turn him into the Punisher or what? What's you know? It, it definitely did at the time. Teenage Terrence back in you know uh, back in the eighties. I, I definitely had that sense of like, what is going on? Uh, jumping ahead in the book, since you talked about page fourteen, we'll uh, jump to page fourteen. Uh, this was my first introduction to the Teen Titans uh, that we're seeing, uh, and it was nice that. Uh, we didn't know it was Tim, but was basically telling you who all the Titans were as they were flying out. Um, I would like to say I think I knew who the Teen Titans were, but I, I'm almost guaranteeing I probably never even heard of the phrase Teen Titans until I read this book because um, I wasn't even sure who Dick Grayson was as uh, Nightwing. So uh, I felt like, uh, especially with uh, Teen Titans 60, that I was getting really introduced to a much deeper DC universe that I really didn't know existed 
outside from like the super friends of Green Lantern and Aquaman and Superman and Wonder Woman that they're I knew who Cyborg was so I recognized him like oh a robot guy from Super Friends and who were all these other people here um, and I know you had you'd said uh, before this was your introduction how did you uh, take to all these people as well. Well, Batman's kind of like the gateway drug for the rest of the DC universe, you know. <laughs> I started with the Batman, and then I think it was around at this time, they used to um, give you this, like, free, like, little circular. Um, it was called Direct Currents, which I think for a while I thought DC stood for Direct Currents. I, I don't know. And it had the solicitations in it, and I would read that and kind of um, – see what was coming out in the DC universe. And then at some point it, it flipped where it was one side was DC and then the other side was Vertigo when Vertigo came out. Um, so, yeah, this was probably right around the time where I was realizing that there's a DC and a Marvel and that Spider-Man and Batman do not hang out together and that <laughs> there's more than just Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman and the Super Friends, that there was all this, this other stuff going on um and luckily back then even though they didn't have a lot of trade paperbacks you could get back issues for relatively reasonable prices so um i think this is when i started you know i'd get a book and then try to buy back issues and figure out what was going on and the, the actually the letter columns would help a lot because the letter columns would like recap a lot of the last couple issues and talk about you know trends going on in the books and i'd try to read the letter columns and try to figure out what was going on. So, yeah, definitely this was kind of a um, – there's more in the DC universe than just Batman because if you look at some of the other Batman books up to that point, there wasn't a lot. I mean, Death, uh, Death in the Family, Superman appears, but um, there's really not a lot of Batman interacting with other characters. And really there wasn't a lot of that at all until you get to like uh, – 2000s with Batman Brave and the Bold where it really came back in force, but uh, Batman's kind of just been kind of his own guy. There's something I did like here as we tor get towards the end of the book, right around page 18, where Batman is uh, recalling uh, from Alfred that, you know, you used to think with your head, not your fists. So he started getting, getting just a little bit wiser and taking out these couple knuckleheads uh, at the book uh, depository, and uh, this is where he is starting to figure out uh, who is uh, behind all of this in the issue that he's almost mad at himself for not picking up that it is, in fact, Two-Face. And like you said earlier, I, I'm not sure if I knew who Two-Face was. Um, I did have uh, a uh, Robin uh, story of Jason Todd when he fought Two-Face when it was the New Adventures of Batman, but I think I had bought that after uh, this had come out, so I w was too of the fact of like, oh, who is this thing? It's Two Face, and then realizing, okay, this must be some new bad guy. But uh, I liked that Batman uh, put this together, but he was mad at himself that I should have been able to put this together a lot faster if I wouldn't have been so um, uh, pig-headed. I do remember thinking back in 1989 when I was 15, if they ever made this into a movie, Tommy Lee Jones would be a great Two-Face. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, wow, or, or Billy D. Williams. But, um, you know, I did like at the end here that you, you bring out on page 18 and 19 how, you know, um, it's sort of like Alfred's words resonated in Batman's head, and that's what helps him to pull back a little bit and realize it's Two-Face, and it kind of showed that Alfred is more than just this naysayer, kind of the mommy figure of, oh, no, we don't want you to die. Oh, no, don't do this, that he actually is helping Batman. And, like, 
it, it wasn't just him being a worry wart. He was actually giving him advice because and makes him a better crime fighter than just don't go out there and beat everything up. Use your brain. Think, you know. And, and the panel on 19 where Batman is just kind of looking at his fists is, is a kind of a really good moment, I think. Now that that was a panel I had uh, some tracing paper, and I remember uh, tracing uh, this panel and then trying to uh, give it to my dad to blow up, and I had this blown up, really just really distorted. But I just I love that look, and that's what I consider my first poster on my wall was that image of Batman with his two fists. So it's really cool that you uh, said that because I remember just tracing that and. That's kind of how I learned to draw Batman, was just from uh, tracing. Not that I'm the world's greatest Batman <laughs> penciler at all. That's why I'm doing a podcast and not drawing my own comics. Um, uh, we talked about Corey on 19, but something that I did like, this was the first instance where I came across uh, Batman talking to Commissioner Gordon and then disappearing. Oh, yeah. I love the line here that says, I, I hate talking to myself, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just for once, I wish you'd let me say goodbye. I remember chuckling at that as a kid, like, oh, Batman just left, you know. And that that would be a, a cool, I wouldn't call it a gag, but just a trademark of Batman. Yeah. Once he's got all the information from you, that's just really cool that Batman's your real ninja-like to just disappear and show up. Yeah, like, and, and that was one of my favorite, you know, whenever someone else takes over as Batman. I think they did it with John Paul Valley. And then when Dick took over Batman, where like he's still there, and Gordon's like, "Wait, you're still here!" Like, and that that's a tip off to Gordon that someone else is wearing the cape and cowl. So yeah, I kind of like that. I, I wonder when the very first ever appearance of or disappearance of Batman <laughs> was. I, I wonder who thought of that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and then the very end of it, like we've talked before, is uh, would be Tim in uh, Dick's apartment. Uh, looking through um, scene would be the closing of Haley Circus. And uh, again, we are shown the picture of uh, Tim and Dick at Haley Circus together. And then the final panel on page 22 is Tim uh, walking off into the distance uh, towards Haley Circus. Um, I remember reading this and just being instantly captivated and uh, not sure what day of the week that I bought this book, but I remember going back the next day uh, and begging my mom, like, are you going to Finley? You're going into town. That's the uh, town that's nearby where we get our groceries from. Like, are you going into Finley? And it's like, I got to go pick up another comic book. And mom's like, well, I guess I could go get some milk. And, and going to the comic book store and hearing the guy go, no, that doesn't come out for another two weeks. I'm like, two weeks? Wow. I got to wait yeah. another two weeks that this was a, a bi-monthly book uh, at the time. And he's like, well, actually, in a week, there will be new Teen Titans will be out. I'm like, New Teen Titans, what's that? I thought this guy was like God or Buddha or something. That he, <laughs> yeah. he knew when books were coming out. And, uh, he was talking about a pull list, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I told him, I said, no, I, I don't want anything like that. So I didn't do a pull list till I was actually uh, like a junior in high school. Where I was like, man, I would have had to have been running back and forth to the comic book shop every week. I could have, you know, gone on a Tuesday and gotten my books from the previous <laughs> yeah. week. Uh, what were your first uh, impressions of the book uh, once you uh, had read it, even then or now? Hey, by booking me 440? Yeah, 440, yeah. Yeah, um, reading it now, reading it again, I, I was just impressed of how good it was. You know, going back to some of these older books, you always kind of feel like, oh, it's going to be cheesy. Oh, is it not going to live up to the, to a modern book? And it, like you said, I, you, it would hold up to anything New 52. Um, and I, I read um, Grant Morrison's novel, or I guess it's a nonfiction book, um, 
uh, gods, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but like, um, and, um, he talked about how comics have changed, where people are trying to write toward, for the graphic novel reprint, and that artists are all about the big splash page because the artists now make more money selling the original versions than actually getting paid for the book. And here you could see, you know, every page has got four, five, six, seven panels on it. And it's just a, it's just a really good story. And it's, it's, a deep psychological story. I can see why this appealed to me when I was 15 and looking for, you know, stuff to read. It, it's more than just an action adventure. It's actually got really good twists, really good psychological thriller. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I was, after rereading it, just impressed with how good it was. And then rereading it as a kid, I just think it was, um, I think this just whet my appetite for the rest of the series. I think I was just – this was just right when I was just starting to really get into comics and really starting to, uh, you know, make it a big part of my life and, and make it that weekly trip to the comic book store and, you know, figuring out how much of my, you know, allowance and lawnmower money was going to go towards <laughs> comics. Yeah. Uh, something I like to do here, we'll do – I thumbed through both of these issues real quick. Uh, the ads are pretty much uh, – if you've listened to Episode 4, the ads are an exact repeat, uh, again, um, as this was a bi-monthly book. So I would imagine this was probably the end of this particular month uh, that uh, 4.39 was, so the ads are repeated. But it's kind of funny, having gone through some of these ads, uh, did you ever have the John Elway uh, <laughs> quarterback club uh, video game or anything like that? It's just kind of funny looking through some of these ads going – I remember having that, or I remember wanting that so bad. <laughs> no, in fact, I was not a big video gamer as a kid. Um, the uh, I had a, an Atari 2600, but then when the Nintendo came out, I kind of just kind of got out of it. My brother had a Sega Master System. He was a big Sega guy, but I kind of just I kind of wasn't really that big into video games. Um, I had a, a computer, an Atari ST which uh, had some games, which I'd play every now and again. But um, the thing that got me, and I forget which issue I bought, but I actually, at some point around this time, I bought an extra issue because one of the ads is for Star Trek, the official fan club. And I actually <laughs> bought an extra issue, cut out the, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't cut out this one, but I, I cut out the little thing, sent it in, and was a member of the official fan club. And they sent me the magazine and a patch and uh, some other things that came in the mail, which, uh, you know, um, and, and and I like to hear it says it's I got a the magazine has a classified section including pen pals wanted and for sale sections like <laughs> what we used to have to do before the internet it's you know um, but you know I remember as a kid like taking a long time to read comics and now I see why because all the ads I'd read and all the like or, um, little fine print of like what books were going for and. Uh, that the letters would take me a while to read. So, uh, you know, and, and as a kid, I had more time. So I'd read a book two, three, four times a month. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is kind of fun to see the, the ads. You were more of a gamer, right? Did you have any of these games? Uh, no. Uh, a friend of mine, Ryan, uh, did. Uh, we had, like, Atari 2600, uh, but he was the first one that had the, you know, Super Nintendo. Not Super, well, he had, first had Super Nintendo, but the regular Nintendo, and then uh, his sister got a Sega. So I thought it was so weird. Like, you guys are rich. You have a Nintendo <laughs> yeah. and a Sega. So they were getting games. For, I remember playing the John Elway Quarterback Club, and boy, did that game suck. <laughs> yeah. the, the only selling feature on it was because it was just John Elway. Uh, but Tecmo Super Bowl always won us over. And it's funny you mentioned about the uh, Star Trek. I wanted that. Look, 
her way to talk me out of getting it. She's like, well, fine. Here's a pair of scissors. Cut your comic book. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Well, can't Dad photocopy it? And she grabs the book. Uh, God bless her. And looks at it and goes, no, it says you have to have the original. So I guess you have to decide. Do you want to give up part of your comic book? And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking, looking back at it now going, it doesn't say uh, must have original. <laughs> yeah. And I like in between page 20 and 21, they've got like the uh, muscles in seven days. And one of them, which I, I never even realized, I, I, girls' thoughts reveal. 1989 survey tells how to attract girls, discover what girls really want, learn dating secrets, only $3. So, <laughs> wow. I, yeah. I wish I would have done that. I didn't get a girlfriend until I was junior high in high school. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, then, uh, we'll get into uh, this will be New Teen Titan 60, and uh, why don't you man the helm of doing the synopsis for this one, and we will catch you guys on the other side when we come out of the synopsis. Hello, everybody. This is Terrence, and I've been asked by Rob very nicely to um, join him on his Everybody Loves the Drake podcast, and he has asked me to give the recap for The New Titans, number 60, which is part two of A Lonely Place of Dying. And we start off with the, the cover. Um, a lot going on in this cover here, which is, uh, I guess, indicative of Perez's art. But we've got the whole New Titans. We've got Batman and Robin. we got three different logos. You even have a little Tim Drake kind of hidden in between the, the Robin and the, the T for Teen Titans, which I guess is kind of a little foreshadowing of Tim Drake's future, but he's just kind of in shadow with a camera around his uh, neck. And if you would have purchased this comic back in November of 1989, it would have cost you a U.S. a dollar seventy-five. Canada, they would have charged you a little more, two twenty-five, and one pound for U.K. Which um, I, it's kind of rare to see a U.K. price tag on, on a cover. But here we go, New Titans number sixty. It opens up page one, uh, beautiful skyline and. I'll tell you this, this was my first ever New Titans comic. I bought this when it came out, way back in 89. I didn't know anything about the Teen Titans, didn't know anything about uh, really Nightwing and, and Robin and too much. Um, and so for me, this was kind of a kind of an introduction of who these people were. And it starts off with a, a beautiful background. And you can kind of tell from the background that it's, it's probably San Francisco. And a, a warning, don't read this till you've read Batman 440. But... Luckily for us, I believe Rob is, will give us the 440 recap. And it starts off in Titans uh, headquarters with Starfire and Cyborg ta talking while Cyborg is frantically typing away at the computer. And let's hope they don't have the air conditioning on because neither one of them are wearing very much clothing. Um, but they are searching, looking for someone. And as it they pans out, we see that they're searching for Nightwing. But yet, even as Vic says, even tried a satellite trace of his Nightwing computers, but they're still here in New York, and they, they have no idea where he went, and they try to access the phone files for Bruce Wayne, uh, but unfortunately, Alfred picks up, and he, and he says here that he has not seen Master Richard since the Zuko fiasco, which, if you've been a listener of this podcast, you know Rob has been uh, detailing very, very clearly all that happened in year three, and uh, what happened with Zuko. And uh, as um, Alfred uh, kind of disappoints Starfire and Cy Cyborg with uh, news that they do not know where uh, Dick is, 
Uh, Starfire says, this doesn't sound good. It's like he's vanished off the face of the earth. Uh, and so maybe the world's greatest detective could solve it, but he doesn't seem to be helping here. So some of the other Titans decide to check out uh, Dick's um, apartment. And it seems we've got Wonder Girl there, Speedy, uh, and they're checking it out. And they, they discover that Dick has a secret safe stash they can see in the floorboard that there's a path where the dust has um, opened the door here on page three and so they were able to open it up and look in the safe and they find Dick's scrapbook but to their astonishment somebody has ripped out some pages and as they say that means whoever broke in here knows Dick and Nightwing are one and the same then as we turn to the next page we see the title a lonely place of dying chapter two roots and it opens wide full page spread of a circus and there's dick kind of walking into the circus backpack in tow and the first thing he he remembers is the smells it says it's the smell of the sawdust that brings back the first memories the clamor the confusion and the cacophony of the circus and and who knew later on there'd be a horrible Batman title named Cacophony, but here it appears in, in a good Batman title, and this then has the credits of the new Titans created by Marv Wolfman and George Perez, and this here is actually written and drawn by those creators here, Marv Wolfman writer, George Perez penciler, Bob McLeonard inker, John Costanza letterer, which I do believe... If I check this out here, Rob did call him George Costanza in, I think it was the second episode. But it's John Costanza, maybe George's long-lost brother. Uh, Andrina Roy, colorist, and Jonathan Peterson, associate editor. Mike Carlin, the big kahuna, which I'm assuming is translation for editor. editor. And so as we see, Dick is walking around, uh, remembering the circus, and he meets his long-lost friend, Eleanor the elephant and she remembers him because elephants never forget so dick bends down gets a, a brush starts cleaning the elephant bringing back floods of memories as he says oh god it's like it was yesterday mom and dad doing their passing leaps or iron jarring it and after reading um year three and getting to know the graysons you can understand all these memories um and then Dick gets spotted, which must be kind of weird for just some random person to walk in and start washing an elephant. And somebody spots him and says, hey, you, what are you doing? And then we hear Dick say, Jock, is that you? And it turns out to be the strong man who says, how do you know my name? Who are you? But luckily, she, he gets recognized. And an elderly lady says, don't you recognize him? That's Dick Grayson. Which then he gets the response, hey, little Dickie. Come on, no way. So Dick does some um, flips and jumps over them and shows them that some things never change. And he gets the response, it's you, it's been years, it's been years. And so Dick starts walking through with Jock here. And uh, I never do, I think, find out the uh, name of the old lady here. But um, we, we start to see some scenes from the circus and the clowns and the strong man. And all of a sudden, here comes a clown drunk as a skunk as you can always tell in comics they're drunk by the little uh dots around his head in the, the bottle and he says the clown says hey dick hiya hiya what brings you to this dog and pony show and dick recognizes him as harry and then unfortunately harry passes out and falls asleep right in dick's arms and seems to be kind of business as usual for poor harry who's 
developed a drinking problem. And then on the next page, page 7, we see Dick is in the office uh, with Mr. Haley, and he's getting the bad news that Haley Circus is hit on tough times. Lots of corporations have been trying to buy out the circus. The circus is not doing as well as it should have. And unfortunately, they've been having lots of accidents, and as Dick says, accidents, which seems kind of suspicious. But Mr. Haley points to a picture of the Flying Graysons and lets them know that there used to be better days, better times that he has not forgotten, but it's not what it, it used to be. And then on page 8, we see Dick still kind of walking around the circus, checking it out, and all of a sudden we hear a scream. So Dick goes running because he knows it's coming from Clown Alley. And then he gets in there and there's a looks like it's been a brouhaha and Harry is on the ground. And we hear somebody yell, you stupid drunk, you've ruined everything. Drink yourself to death, but don't pull me down with you. And we, that we soon find out is Willem yelling at him. And um, he, they are just disgusted by Harry. And he says, all right, you can barely stand. And the rest of you, you're all just losers, just like him. So now we know some, there's some conflict going on at the circus. But we're not really sure what it all is about. And then on the next page, page 9, we get kind of a little background of what's been going on in the circus. We find out that the conflict has taken place because Willem believes that Harry has been creating the accidents around the circus as a way to scare off the buyers and William is very angry by this because he knows that in his contract if Haley sells he's free and he believes he can make the big time while everyone else is stuck with Haley's circus and so people are angry at Harry Harry just wants to drink picks up his bottle finds it's empty and just throws it it's about to hit somebody right in the head but luckily Dick, with his master reflexes, reaches out, grabs the bottle, saves the day. Page 10, we see, now it's time for the circus. Evening has fallen. People are ready for the big top. Uh, crowds are coming in. Some of the people are talking about how the circus is jinxed, and other people think, ah, it's just an old wives' tale. And then we hear, as they're setting up, the circus click, click. And we see a person... He says, he's got to be here. I can feel it in my bones. And this person, we can't see their face, but there's a camera blocking it. But we might have some idea who that might be. And he might actually, you know, be in the name of this podcast. And then we've got an awesome page 11, full page, all the circus acts you would see. Their new circus is called Circus 2000. How futuristic. Um, Acrobats, clowns, cowboys, horses, fire-breathing women, you name it, we've got it here. Unicycles, people being shot out of a cannon, great circus thrills. And then we turn to page 12, even more circus thrills. We have Mr. Muscles, the strongest man on earth, lifting a car with four women in it. Which I wonder, you know, in a universe that has Superman and Aquaman and Wonder Woman, you know, how impressive are you of a... a strong man but the crowd seems to be impressed they're all smiling and happy and you know but we hear somebody talking and he says that's him no maybe i was wrong maybe he isn't here they grasp as the acrobats pass quietly above their heads if he isn't then i've wasted all this time so we still don't know who is this guy with the camera who is he looking for we think it's dick and so then he says he wouldn't need to hide his identity here, so that means he must be dressed up as something that belongs in a circus. So he starts scanning the circus, looking for all the workers, looking at Willem the Lion Tamer, and then all of a sudden, 
the clowns. He kind of realizes it. But uh-oh, there's a problem here. One of the lions has gotten loose, and it attacks the trainer. But as we can see, Dick, hidden as a clown, springs into action. Uh, and he says, oh my god, she's going after Willem. And the other clowns try to stop him. Dick, stop! They're bringing in the trank guns. Two other acrobats are hugging and shocked in space. And then they run in, and nothing can stop the clown. Dick takes off his clown shoes, swings into action, and that's when we see the person in the crowd turns out to be Tim Drake. There he is with his camera, and he realizes watching Dick's acrobatic moves as he flies through the air with a net to take down the lion before it will hurt anybody else, that it's him. It's got to be Dick. And Dick comes in, saves the day, tackles the lion. They're able to net him, and... and um, as they say, don't hurt him, get him sedated, and they get him blocked, but poor Willem, he's dead. So the lion is saved, but the lion tamer is dead, and there's a hush over the crowd, everybody says, oh my god, and there's Tim Drake looking shocked. Next scene we see, this is on page 16, Haley Circus is officially closed, and they don't have... You see Mr. Haley just saying, I don't have the energy to go on. That was the last straw. I give up. But we all know Master Dick is not going to take no for an answer. And he's going to stick around just for a bit longer and say goodbye to people. But we know he's going to look around because on page 17, he's looking around and he says to himself, something's definitely wrong. Accidents don't just happen with such frequency unless they're planned. Yeah. And then he realizes he sees two guys taking out the trash and he knows that something is up. And they yell to him, hey, you, you don't belong here. Get out of here. And Tim Drake rushes in and says, sorry, I can't leave. I've got things to do. And pushes one of the guys, jumps over him, but not fast enough for Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson grabs him and says, I don't know who you are, kid. You are not going to find out either. And so Tim tries to make a getaway, but... Dick Grayson is too fast and grabs him. Tim tries to flip Dick, but as Dick says, he used my momentum to flip me. He's good, but so am I. If I don't let go, I can turn his own trick against him. So right here we see the very first moment where Dick Grayson and Tim Drake meet, and Tim tries to flip Dick. Doesn't work, but he actually impresses Dick. So Tim's first meeting with Dick. Dick's impressed by Tim. And so Dick grabs him and says, okay, kid, I think we should talk. And then Tim says, oh, thank goodness it's you. Dick, I've been digging up proof. I think the old clown murdered the lion tamer. To which Dick is quite surprised, and which means they need to investigate. So on page 18, we get a little kind of meeting here. Tim and Dick talk to each other. So Tim and Dick start to talk to each other. Dick wants answers. He wants to know who this kid is, how he knows him. But Tim says there's no time to talk, talk about that right now because he knows who the killer is. He has found a liquor flask that belongs to Harry the Clown, and he knows that it's Harry who did something. You can see Dick's face. He's suspicious. He doesn't think that Harry has that in him. He says, I know he's a drunk, but he's not vicious. So they decide to investigate further and check things out. On the next page, page 19, we see who really is responsible. We see the strong man and his partner come in, yelling at Harry the Clown, telling him that you killed Willem, didn't you? Um, but, as we find out, when confronted, 
it's not Harry the Clown. It is actually Dick Grayson disguised as a clown. He jumps into action after the, the killers have confessed, beating both of them, taking down the strong man with one swift elbow to the back of the head. All the circus crowd are happy. And they realize that, uh-oh, the partner's gotten away. But after hearing a scream and running to the back, there's Tim Drake sitting on a giant barrel with, guess what, the partner underneath it, proving right from the start what an amazing and talented young man he's going to turn out to be. Uh, Haley, can't believe it. Dick, thank you for believing in me, but how did you figure out it was Harry? And as it, Dick realized, leaving the flask seemed a little obvious, it seemed like a setup, but he couldn't have done it without help by, by Tim Drake. And as Tim Drake looks at the end of page 21, he says, Man, Dick is good. He's the best. Um, next day, page 22, Dick is getting ready to go back to his old life, saying goodbye to Mr. Haley. There's Tim on his bike, probably the uh, least impressive superhero vehicle or mode of transportation ever. But, hey, you know what? Gets the job done. And it's probably one of the reasons why we, we associate so much with Tim Drake, because I was riding my bike the same way. So, you know, it, riding these uh, amazing bat cycles or stuff is, is cool, but not relatable. But here's Tim, very relatable to the comic book fan in, the, in the, kind of the same outfit and blue jeans and a t-shirt and on a bike and getting to live this here. And now it's time for some answers. Dick wants to know. And luckily that camera that Tim's been taking, I'm not sure when he had time to develop all these pictures, but here they are, and he gives it to him, and he sees the pictures of Batman, and he says to him, Batman needs you. And this, we know, will be continued in episode 440 uh, and 441, and so now Dick is intrigued. He wants to know what's going on, why does Batman need him, and so... As Tim says, I'm not sure what came down between you and Bruce, but you do owe him something, don't you? And here's your chance to pay him back for raising you all those years. Well, and we're left with the last page, page 25, classic pose of Batman out on the streets looking like a gargoyle. Starts in with a close-up of his white eye and pulls back all the way till we see him. And at the very last thing, we see a coin flipping, and we know it's Two-Face. And so it says, to be continued in Batman 441. Then Rob and I will have some really good discussions about our impressions on a lonely place of dying. So thank you. All right. And so uh, I wonder if anybody caught the synopsis, the background music. It had something to do with the Drake. Uh, Rob, did you catch what it was? Or uh, yeah, I believe that's Under the Red Hood, probably the opening sequence, uh, I think, if I had that right. That is correct, uh, and composed by Christopher Drake, which I'd love to say that I, you know, knew that, but it was a complete coincidence. I, I, th- <laughs> I thought, well, what music will I put underneath it? I'm like, oh, Red Hood would be good because it's got the whole Robin, Nightwing thing, even though Tim Drake is not in that uh, cartoon. And when I, I, I went on iTunes to buy it and um, downloaded the, the soundtrack off iTunes and saw Christopher Drake, I was like, no way, the Drake. There we go. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like a sign from above, uh, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, first thing I want to ask you about is this cover, because there is so much in this cover, and it, that's, oh. that's George Perez. And I didn't even realize it till I did the recap that there's, like, a little Tim Drake with his camera in between the R and the T. And then when we sat down for the podcast, I didn't even realize that there's, like, a kid's face underneath, like, Starfire and Wonder Girl. So, like, even now I'm still seeing more stuff in the 
this cover. So what do you think of this cover? I love this cover. Uh, cover. <laughs> I, love the, I, love, I love this cover. Uh, uh, the Batman and Robin at the very top underneath the Teen Titans I think is so cool, and I love when they draw uh, the Dick Grayson, uh, uh, Jason Todd, uh, or even Tim Drake when he wears this costume once uh, with a really long cape. I never was a fan of the real teeny tiny, you know, Red Riding Hood uh, type of cape, but I love that. Um, I, I did notice uh, – Tim off in the corner because uh, this was just a cover a, a series uh, other than uh, Tim being on the cover uh, in the fifth uh, issue uh, as Robin. I just looked at this one over and over again, and this was another one that I traced, uh, the bat signal, the T, and even the, the Nightwing logo, which I didn't realize what it was till years later that I'm like, oh, that's uh, Nightwing's mask, you know, or his, you know, a bird emblem, if you will. Um, the the face at the very bottom, I noticed that as well, but I was always trying to figure out, you know, who and what that was, and looking at it now, and I would probably assume that it's uh, probably Tim, but uh, this was, like you said, for both of us, my first introduction to Teen Titans, so other than Cyborg and uh, Robin, or uh, Nightwing here, I didn't know who anybody else was. Um, I thought... Uh, gee, I wonder if this guy in the red here is, uh, he looks like a, a red Robin Hood, you know, and I know that this is uh, who would be the sidekick of Green Arrow. So I didn't even know Green Arrow had a sidekick for a very long time. But uh, uh, the uh, the Teen Titans logo, I really wasn't sure if that's in fact what it was. I thought, T, I wonder what that means. And then later on, I'm like, duh, T for Teen Titans. Yeah. And then uh, seeing the uh, circus going out of business here. But uh, um did, did you know Cyborg before uh, the Teen Titans at all? I didn't know any of them. And to be honest, I still don't know who the guy is with the jacket and the, the <laughs> blonde hair and glasses. Um, I was really hoping you did. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Yeah, no, I did not know any of them. Um, I, Jericho, who I, I really don't know much about him. I thought he was like a Dungeons and Dragons character or something. I, I wasn't really sure. Um, but, you know, I said in the... the Batman 440, like there's always something that sticks out in, a, in an issue or something you remember. And I really remembered right in the beginning how they go to Dick's apartment and they see the dust um, trail in the floor and that showed them that there was like a fake wall and that there was a safe behind it. But for somehow in my memory, I always thought it was Tim Drake who realized that. Like uh, reading this I, again, I was like surprised to see it was the Titans and, and Jericho. I was like, I remember that so clearly, but for some reason I, I thought it was Tim Drake who did it. But um, I, I had the same thing, and uh, I thought, why isn't this Jericho guy talking? I had no idea that <laughs> yeah. he couldn't talk. I'm like, you know, they make a nice subtle movement that, you know, he's trying to uh, make a motion. But I, I thought the same thing when I reread this. Uh, I've reread this off and on throughout the years, but even just kind of boning up for uh, the podcast with the notes going, it is Jericho that discovers this. So I thought the same thing. Uh, every time I read this, I, this is the part where I go, I always thought that was Tim that did that. But Yeah. And one of the things, too, Tom Grummet um, has a kind of place in my heart as an artist, and I'm sure he'll be a big part of this uh, podcast because he was the original artist on the, the first Robin um you know, Robin number one through, I'm not even sure how far he went on that uh, run, but he was the first artist who I recognized, like, his art. Well, probably as I was reading this, I didn't really recognize differences in artists. I probably didn't really pay much attention to who the artists were, um, and to me, it was just 
pictures. And then at some point I started to realize that different artists had different styles. And it was kind of amazing to me where I could look at a picture of Batman and be like, oh, I know, that's Norm B. Ogilfrey, or oh, that's Jim Aparo, or that's Jim Lee. Like, it's just a weird, weird thing. And, you know, um, and Tom Grummet was the first one who I looked at and said, that's Tom Grummet. I, I recognize his faces. And as I was reading this, I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, a lot of this art looks like Tom Grummet. And then I went to the second page or is it or is it the third page I should on um, page four where it has the the title and he's not mentioned in the credits at all but then on the cover his name is on the cover so and then on the the part three he's mentioned so he definitely did stuff in this book and did some finishings or did some panels here uh for george perez uh, but i thought that was kind of cool reading through it and trying to figure out all right which is a perez panel and which is a grummet and his faces are very very unique um not not very different from person to person, but and he's got that arch in the eyebrow all the time too. So uh, that was kind of cool. I thought looking through this and picking out Grummet from Perez. Yeah, uh, he reminds me a lot of uh, Brett Booth currently in the new uh, Fifty Two, and well, it, totally before that. Uh, Brett Booth's uh, faces look just like he draws the same face for Superman as he draws for Batman. One has a cowl, one does it, and slight little differences, but yeah, that was always fun to figure out who was drawing what. And as a a kid growing up, I didn't know the difference between inker and penciler. Like, well, I was always trying to figure out, well, who is, you know, the artist? I'm like, well, there's a pencil, but I don't see any pencils anywhere. I didn't realize that pencils meant that this is a person that actually drew it, and the inker is the person doing all of the darks, and then you have a colorist. I always assumed that the person, one person drew everything, so I didn't realize till I was a little bit older what the difference between an inker and a penciler was, and, um, uh, even when I did do, I wouldn't have known this now, but uh, uh, with the appearance of Seinfeld, every time I see John Costanza doing the uh, letters, I always think of George Costanza. <laughs> yeah. But, of course, I wasn't thinking that in 89. Yeah, but, uh, no. Sorry, I blanked out for a second there. <laughs> That's right. Hey, one of the podcasts, not this one, because I know we're going a little long because we're doing two books and recapping all that, but we'll have to do a, a little Seinfeld recap and how we got into Seinfeld or, <laughs> for, for for the Drake. Yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, this is a, an issue, uh, one of the few early on when I was collecting comics, that does not feature Batman, Robin, or any other hero until the final panel, uh, the final, final few panels of the book, that's a mouthful, um, other than uh, some of the Titans in there, where this is all solely Dick Grayson uh, at the circus and uh, basically just solving a crime as Dick. Uh, what's going on with Haley Circus? And I just remember being so riveted by this that I didn't care that there wasn't a Batman or a Robin or Nightwing or anybody like that. That it was a straight up whodunit story and what's going on with the circus. And then references to him being uh, a circus performer himself. But uh, I didn't mind it one bit that Batman doesn't really appear anywhere in this book, sit in a couple of Titans. Uh, how did you feel about reading a, a non Batman book? Yeah, you know, I, I can't really remember back when I was 15 how it was. I, I remember these books were hard to get because they would sell out quick because they, they the Titans weren't ordered as much as Batman, but all the Batman readers would try to get it that month. So I, I think I, I was lucky to get it. But um, I love the story. I love Haley Circus. I, I, I eat the Haley Circus stuff up. If there's ever a Haley Circus story or anything like that, I would buy it. This is... I, I I know I was familiar with it from year three, and I think I was thrilled to to see it back. Um, 
it's kind of why I lost my my taste for Nightwing and the the new 52 because they were doing the Haley Circus stuff and they were building towards uh, a new Haley Circus and I was like, what a great backdrop for a book. This is going to be years and years of Haley Circus stories and there's so much room for like great storytelling and then they burned it down in one issue. Thank you very much, Joker. So um, yeah. and then moving to Chicago and after that I just kind of. <laughs> I just I just lost my 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 feel for that book because I had my heart set on like this great Haley Circus saga. Um, so I I love this. I love the fact that um, Tim and and Dick their meeting seems very organic. It, it's not forced. It, it kind of happens slowly. It seems natural. And um, I like the fact that there was some misdirection of who was the real killer and Tim really kind of thinks like, aha, I found the bottle, that this is the killer, and, and Dick being the better detective, more seasoned, kind of figures it out and realizes it, it was a misdirection, and Tim is, it, it sets the groundwork for their relationship and how Tim is willing to, to learn from Dick, and Dick right away sees the potential in this kid and sees, you know, like his good qualities, um, and uh, and Tim just like idolizes Dick and even says like, man, he's the best, so you know, all in all, I think I kind of probably read this imagining myself as Tim Drake and thinking, you know, I'm about the same age. I've got a bicycle that kind of looks like that. This would have been so cool to have <laughs> been at the circus and, and meet Dick and do all this stuff. And, you know, I, I just, uh, yeah, even reading it again, it was like, this is just awesome. Uh, and I like, too, that uh, we're kind of seeing uh, a lot of this through uh, Tim's eyes as he's trying to figure out where Dick is in the circus. That he figures, you know, i, I got to talk to Dick. He's going to be here, you know, kind of looking for instantly, like, oh, I'm going to look for the trapeze. Uh, Dick's got to be doing something with the trapeze. And then slowly coming to that, well, probably not slowly, but realizing, you know what, Dick would probably blend in. If he's a detective and he's a crime fighter, he wouldn't want to attract attention to himself. He wants to be part of the circus uh, that uh, he goes to uh, to hop. I'd write him as clown. You know, those are the things that you look at at the circus, but you really don't pay much attention to. So I thought that was really cool that they kind of show uh, that into Tim, that he figures it out. And then um, when the lion gets out on page uh, 14, uh, Dick goes right to the high wire and does a flip. And that's the thing that uh, uh, Tim realizes, oh, that's that's Dick right there. That's That's the one. Yeah. You know what I really liked, and this is probably something that I didn't notice at the time because I probably had not read a lot of tie-in issues, but it, it tends to – tie-in issues sometimes tend to just really distract from the main story. Like, it, I, this could have easily just been only the Titans, and it could have been eight pages on Cyborg and all this stuff with Wonder Girl and all these people who you don't know just as a way to try to sell that book, kind of like how Suicide Squad was with some of the uh, the the – joker story and all that stuff you know and and this is um it's just a straight up dick Grayson story i mean there's a little bit of the titans in the beginning but it is it, it moves the plot of dick's story they're looking for dick they're in dick's apartment then it goes to dick then you meet tim and there's not you know this it's not a 32 page advertisement for the titans it's not hey let's get to meet cyborg so hopefully you'll pick up the book after issue 62 and keep reading and and i really like that about it and and i i think that would make me read further in the titans more than than if i was just like oh what is this this is just filler yeah uh i i miss those days like 
echoing the very same things that you said. I I felt invested into the Tim Drake or Tim Drake. Well, yeah, Tim Drake character, but Dick Grayson. That this was his uh, his centerpiece. It was his story, and it wasn't like you get okay. We'll give you a, a page and a half of Dick Grayson, but let's see what Cyborg is doing. What other case are they working on? Um, I like that they were here, but they were kind of forgotten until they're a- actually needed uh, later on down in the series. And, and even then, uh, they don't have a lot of screen time in their own book, and I think it works really well. And it, it, like you said, it was something that made me want to it, – it made me go, well, I'm kind of curious who uh, this uh, Raven person is. And that's something that I did want to uh, point out real quick. It's the first uh, introduction of uh, Raven in here, and uh, or I'm probably back a book. Yeah, I she was in the other book, but uh, going back to 440 real quick, I thought Raven just looked absolutely horrible when she doesn't have her hood up. Like yeah, she's yeah. almost like a Sinead O'Connor and has the world's ugliest haircut, but uh, uh, looking at uh, Starfire here, remember, I'm not going to lie, 15 years old, going, I think I like the Starfire character. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll read more of her, but uh, like you said, it it means that the other Titans were like, oh, why weren't they in this story? Rather than them be in here as a showcase to, hey, read our book, read our book. Um, I do like uh, would be panels or in page 17 where Dick and Tim do meet and uh, Tim was kind of uh, uh, spying and he was trying to get out and uh, Dick goes to grab him. Tim flips him over his back, but Dick, being the more seasoned person, uses uh, Dick, or Tim's momentum to flip uh, Tim to the ground, and they have their uh, discussion here about uh, who the killer might be. And uh, I was another little red herring they throw in here that Dick is the one underneath the clown makeup and gets the uh, uh, two guys to confess. And I thought, wow, that is so cool that uh, Dick is on top of it. And like he said, uh, that uh, Tim was kind of close to who it was, but like you said, with uh, being a little bit more seasoned, Tim or uh, Dick was able to uh, uh, figure it out. Um, the thing that I really liked out of this book was uh, now we have confirmation of who the person is that is taking these pictures. Tim saying, you know, Bruce needs you, Batman needs you, and Dick just kind of being real taken aback by it, like, well, how do you know all this? And he uh, gives him the photos here of uh, Batman uh, getting beat up. So it was nice to have that uh, answer, like, this is who that person was. And that person is a 13-year-old kid. So uh, this kid is smart enough to figure out who uh, Batman and Nightwing are. Uh, Maybe I should listen to him a little bit. Uh, What did you think of the reveal that uh, Tim is the person uh, that was taking the pictures? Yeah, you know, I liked it. I definitely, you know... It seemed believable, and it seemed like you know it, it would it would be what a kid would do. Like you, you're you're 14, you're 15, you're not going to be able to talk to Batman, you're not going to be able to save the day, but maybe you could take some pictures and try to convince Dick Grayson to step in and talk to Batman. So it seemed like a really smart, believable way that a kid would you know try to save Batman, and um, I was to say on on your previous comments i actually did add team, the, the new titans to my pull list um when i uh after reading these here and i and i was lucky because i think the next couple issues i didn't really get but later on and maybe you'll do this on the podcast um episode or episode <laughs> issue 65 which i know sold out really quick but it's got one of my favorite covers 
and it's the the new Titan 65, and it says it began with Batman, and it's got this cool purple Batman silhouette with um, Nightwing and Tim Drake looking at the Robin costume on a table, and I remember that thing sold out like super quick, and luckily I got one because I had put the Titans in my pull list, and I, I didn't. I don't think I stuck with the Titans too too long, <laughs> but um, yeah, that that was always been one of my favorite covers. So uh, I did I did read the Titans, so it did its job. It, it kept me kept me going, and um, I think the ending um was just a perfect setup for 441 which is a phenomenal issue but uh yeah, oh, yeah. great great issue all around i mean five out of five six out of five if you could you know yeah yeah for being a sole batman fan at this point to pick up something other than i had a, a sporadic you know superman issues here there but picking up a new titans book uh it wasn't until last year that I actually owned a Teen Titan or the new Titan 61 and the 65 you're talking about, my comic book store. Um, I just assumed I could go back when uh, 61 came out, picked it right up off the shelf. So it wasn't until the trade paperback came out that I actually uh, finally got to read a Titan 62. So I had all the other places, uh, all the other issues for the only place of dying but that one. And then in this uh, synopsis, we are, we will throw that in as kind of like the epilogue uh, <laughs> to this so yeah i i didn't pick up another new teen titans for uh, quite a while because like you said uh, comic, the comic book store that i was going to had just a just enough for like the diehards and i remember going there and the guy was like well we put them out on wednesdays and you know if you're not here on wednesday you don't get it so that was kind of like oh that's comic book day I, i've got to be here on wednesday so uh i've the story for a while felt disjointed until I was able to get it into a trade where I could go, oh, I, I finally you know, got that Titans uh, spot. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about these uh, two issues before we uh, kind of sign off out of here? Uh, no, except that the new Titans has a different set of ads uh, because since it was uh, the prestige format. So if you want to go over the ads, we could do that. That might be kind of fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, at care, the money you give, uh, saving people doesn't get eaten up, <laughs> save somewhere else. Um, uh, you know, it's a, a, a banking ad, which I always thought was kind of weird. That's like, uh, what adult is reading this book to try and teach you to save money? I'm a kid. Next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that one didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time on that one. Yeah. Uh, the Hot Cars, Big Stars, um, I have – even now, I really have no idea uh, what it is. Donna Dixon, uh, I know who she was from uh, Bosom Buddies, um, but I've never even seen this movie. Have you seen this at all? I think I might have. I think it was trying to go off, like, the success of Cannonball Run. I think it's some kind of, like, cross-country uh, – race uh, you know but uh you know like they're 17 stars but they, these are hardly stars you know so yeah no maybe uh, don kindy is the only other name uh, i recognize it here yeah usually when there's a lot of stars it's a terrible movie <laughs> somehow that works yeah we've got to put a lot of people in here um then there were ads like this uh would be on page 12 um, uh, these are things I usually skipped over. Uh, news from uh, Questar, uh, science fiction and fantasy. Um, I didn't read a lot, of, a lot of science fiction and fantasy unless it had the word star in it, like Star Wars, Star Trek. Um, so I, uh, these are things that, you know, back in the days before the Internet, you could actually, you know, check out um, other 
books or magazines from other people. And this is looks like it's kind of a write-up for this uh, Wizard of the Sunset Strip. And I didn't even know what the Sunstri- Sunset Strip was back then. Uh, did you pay any attention to uh, this at all? No, I'm just always amazed at how many, literally thousands of science fiction books out, are out there that, like, create their worlds and create all these planets and aliens and really out of the thousands and thousands, maybe only one or two a year might catch on and become a movie or become Battlestar Galactica or Star Wars or, you know, for, for every one, you know, Harry Potter, there's thousands of never Potters or, or never makes it. And this, this, I think just it, it's, it's hyping it up, but I don't think this ever really caught on. Uh, something that uh, another podcast I'll, I'll plug here, like, um, supposed to be getting his trailer um but uh just one of the guys is a uh kyle rayner and uh i'm blanking on his name uh the uh, bowl cutted uh green lantern why can't i think of his name uh guy gardner uh, guy gardner okay Jesus yeah. louise i listened to that quite a bit uh they would talk uh about emerald dawn here and uh mm-hmm. this was uh, uh, this Emerald Dawn, this, this is the height of the uh, Hal Jordan uh, era of Green Lantern, right before uh, John Stewart and becomes Parallax and, you know, all that starts with uh, Kyle Rayner. Uh, did you ever read uh, much Green Lantern or have any um, anything to do with uh, the Emerald Dawn to read it at all? I read Emerald Dawn in, in trade paperback and then Emerald Dawn 2, and I really liked them. It was, it was a really good origin story. It was a... Uh, uh, a retcon. It, it was re- retconning the original Silver Age story, but I really liked it, and it, it, it dealt with some stuff that um, you didn't see in comics. It was kind of mature. Uh, Hal Jordan got arrested for drinking and driving, and uh, I forget if it was one or two, but you know, and he he, he goes to jail, and he he does his time for the crime and everything, and uh, kind of straightens his life about. I I do have to say though, Jeff Johns's uh, Secret Origins, which also which then went ahead and retconned Emerald Dawn, is by far and away better, and is probably in one of my top ten comic book you know trade paperback like. Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run was amazing, but at, somewhere around this time, early 90s, they they relaunched Green Lantern. Hal Jordan came out with like the whites on his uh, side of his his hair, and that's when I started to read um, the Green Lanterns all the way up to Kyle Rayner. But uh, yeah, Emerald Dawn is, Emerald Dawn is good. It's not in continuity, and it, it's not even in continuity in the old 52 because Jeff Johns <laughs> retconned it, and I don't even know what is the continuity now in the new 52. But uh, yeah, it was. It, it was a decent story. Uh, that's one I, I definitely want to check out. And they've uh, re- referenced it on the Just One of the Guys podcast quite a bit, so I'm definitely going to have to try and track that down. I imagine I could probably find it uh, uh, pretty easy uh, nowadays. Uh, the Christmas with the Superheroes. It uh, looks like you can have your own uh, Christmas ornament. Some of your favorite superheroes, Flash, Green Lantern, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Um, looks like it's a, a Christmas-type uh, story. I've never read it at all. Um, but it uh, looks like there's something that you could have uh, picked up back in the day. Yeah, my only knowledge of this is this adver- advertisement. I like how it says, available in October. That's a great time for a Christmas <laughs> issue to come out, middle of October. Yeah, right, right, definitely. And then uh, one of the last two ads on the page, I guess you, you cut the back of the book. Um, the most important uh, intimate character in the history of comics uh, fiction, the origin, the original pristine set of Superman one through four available uh, could sell for 50,000. <laughs> yes. And I, I'll tell you a quick funny story. It shows how naive I was back when 14, 15. 
Um, if you're familiar with Superman at all, they relaunched um, a Superman title in the 80s, and John Byrne did the Man of Steel miniseries, and then when that ended, they came out with a title just called uh, Superman. So you had uh, Action Comics, you had Adventures of Superman, which had been going on back since the, the 30s and 40s, and then they came out with this thing in the 80s. I think 87 actually was the first issue of Superman number one. And uh, it didn't really sell that great. wasn't that huge of a thing. I was looking at it like two years later in like 89, and I'm going through the back issues in my local comic book store. I had no clue about any of this. I didn't know anything about Man of Steel, John Byrne, Action Comics. I didn't know any anything. All I know is I'm looking through the comics, and I see Superman issue number one, and it's got $3 on it. As a, a t I think it cost $0.75 cents to buy, but it had a price tag for $3. And I'm like, oh, holy cow, someone made a mistake. Someone put Superman number one. The movie for <laughs> Superman is only $3. I was like, I was like freaking out. And so I, I take it up, and I'm like, my heart is beating fast. I'm like, I'm walking up to the cash register, and I'm like, oh, man, someone's going to see it. He's going to recognize it. They're going to call somebody in the back, and I'm going to get in trouble. They're going to think I switched the bags. Because I actually <laughs> had some friends who um i never did it but would like switch bags so like they take a batman that was selling for 15 dollars and then switch it with uh you know a justice league selling for 75 cents and uh so then that's when the, i guess they call them wall books some of the books would go up on the wall because they didn't want people to touch them and some of the stores would actually write the issue number in the price tag uh, so that way like it would it was a, a match um which then you just have to find another issue with the same one and um <laughs> the uh so i i thought for sure maybe somebody done that i thought they were gonna call the police and i get up there and i'm nervous and the guy rings it up for three bucks and he's like he, he says i'm like oh superman number one or something and got home and thought i had just done the deal of the century and you know, I don't know when I found out, but somewhere I found out that I think $3 was even too much for it, that it was going in Overstreet for like $2 or something. But, you know, I something something didn't make sense. I think I think when I was reading it and seeing ads for like Nintendo games, I was like, something's not right. I don't think my grandfather had <laughs> Nintendo back in the 30s. Um, but um, another quick time travel book. <laughs> yeah. Another quick story. I had a friend who was a kleptomaniac and would steal all the time, but like, he stole just for the challenge of stealing. Like, he was – and he had used to steal from the comic book store um, this Justice League uh, – the very first Justice League International trade paperback, and he would steal it and then sell it back to them. And he wanted to see how many times he could steal it and sell it back and put little check marks every time he sold it and, and sold it back. And he had, like, five or six, and then he kind of got bored with it and gave up. But uh, we wonder wow. why those comic book stores aren't in business anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely. Uh, we'll talk about this uh, <clears throat> uh, later as we go through the podcast, but when uh, Nightfall hit, uh, it dip into that, kind of follow Tim around through Nightfall. We won't cover the whole thing. Uh, I would love to sometime. Uh, but uh, going back and trying to find out where the seeds of Nightfall were, and I bought uh, – I don't have it in front of me, but I remember it was Azriel and Tim Drake Robin on the front cover – and uh, the guy was like, this is actually technically where uh, Tim trains Azriel, and I spent $17 on that book. Wow. And uh, I, I had to have it. This was going to complete my collection. Uh, years later, probably maybe even 15, that very same book is in a dollar bin. Oh, God, that hurts. And I'm just like, oh, are you kidding me? And I brought – and I still have the original bag and board, I think, on the Facebook page. Uh, when we get there, I'll scan my 
uh, comic so you can see where it says seventeen dollars, you know, the little you know sticker on it. And I took it back to the very same comic shop. Of course, you know the uh, turnover had happened, so somebody wasn't there. And just for a conversation piece, I said I bought this back here in you know 1991 or 92, whatever it was. And the guy behind the counter just chuckled. He's like, you know, we hear stories of that you know all the time. And so that was just in that day and age of like right when the death of Superman and uh, uh, Nightfall were happening. The places they said he pointed that there was somebody like you that was going to. Uh, sell out or shell out $17, you know, for certain issues and ones that, you know, weren't printed that heavily. He's like, no, nowadays they fill the dollar bin up, you know, quite, yeah. uh, quite full. But uh, the last add on here, I would assume both of us saw this as Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, movie that I remember going to the theater and seeing just laughed hysterically. And probably six or seven years ago, I watched it and was on a cable somewhere. And I'm like, I can't believe I loved this movie. Just Yeah, my brother and I were huge Bill and Ted fans. We loved this movie. We'd watch it all, again, all the time on VHS and just laugh and laugh. And, you know, excuse me, when did the Mongols rule China? And strange <laughs> things are afoot at the Circle K. And, uh, but um, I, I, I did like the soundtrack. But I even though I did not like the movie as much, Bill and Ted's Part Two, which um, I think was called Bogus Journey. Journey. Yeah, I, I like that soundtrack a little better. That had the the Kiss song "God Gave Rock and Roll to You," and it had the uh, Megadeth "Go to Hell." Yeah. So um, I did I did like the, the soundtrack to the second one a little bit better. But uh, yeah, this this is a great movie. And Abe Lincoln party on dudes and yeah. <laughs> I used to actually, oh, sorry, I used to actually show little bits of this movie, too, to my classes sometimes. If we talk about, like, Genghis Khan or, or uh, Napoleon or something, I'd show a little clip of them. Uh, product of the 80s, uh, I don't, next to, uh, I used to watch this and the Wayne's World movies kind of, like, back-to-back when me and my you know, friends were growing up, when the movies were kind of out close to the same time. I know uh, Wayne's World was more of a 90s thing, but I, I still think Wayne's World, Holds up just a little bit better than uh, Bill and Ted, but uh, any movie that uh, Keanu Reeves is in, even The Matrix, I always think of him from this movie. Like I don't quite take him uh, enough serious, <laughs> even when he yeah. did uh, Constantine. I'm like, no, I still see you in a phone booth flying around the galaxy, dude. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> So on that wonderful note, I think we will wrap up uh, episode number five. And uh, I'm a, it probably goes without saying, Terrence, we will have you uh, through the duration of Lonely Place of Dying. Yes, and hey, this has been an excellent adventure and not a bogus journey. And I do not feel like I'm <laughs> left in a lonely place of dying. I'm not going to go cry in a corner. I, I feel happy. So thank you for having me on. I've enjoyed the podcast. And, uh, you know, T Tim Drake is definitely my favorite Robin, too. So um, I, I kind of like, you know, the podcast kind of mirrors the, the comics. You know, they didn't just come out with, new Robin, here he is. It was kind of a little by little revealing him. Your podcast is sort of little by little revealing Tim Drake. So, so I like it. I like the uh, duality and the dynamic. So I Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Well, everybody, we will see you in a couple weeks-ish uh, once we get our schedules uh, ironed out, and we'll be back for the next two chapters in A Lonely Place of Dying. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes and I am making no money from it. 
much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as well. You can find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the drink. There you can leave comments on current episodes, as well as by heading over to the batmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Leave a comment there also. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one, and I'll read it at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R, as in Robin, 10myers at yahoo.com. And I'll read it. I love to read emails on air. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.